We are spending much of this week, though, mourning one of the most beloved and respected jurists in the history of the United States. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg was more than just a legal icon. She also became a cultural icon as well. In the later years of her career on the nation's high court, she became a celebrity. Documentaries and biopics explored her life and career. There are bobbleheads of Justice Ginsburg. There are pins and coffee mugs. Kate McKinnon made her impersonation of Ginsburg a staple on Saturday Night Live. Ginsburg became a pop hero, the notorious RBG. But my next guest says this view of Ginsburg is somewhat problematic. Washington Post columnist Alyssa Rosenberg says it amounts to a hero worship of a fictionalized version of Ginsburg, which she says, quote, obscured clearer views of her fragility and the stakes of her final gamble. Alyssa Rosenberg, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, talk about why you think Ginsburg was such an attractive public figure to people, especially young women, and why you think that turned into what you call this hero worship. So I think there are a couple things going on here. I want to be clear that anyone who admires the substance of Ginsburg's life and work is not who I'm talking about here. If you are moved by her legal opinions, by her marriage, her you know, real marriage of equals with Marty Ginsburg, um, with you know her legal scholarship, that's not the problem. I think the challenge is that Ginsburg became a meme rather than a person towards the end of her life. And you know a lot of the sort of memification and commodification of her was really clever, right? I mean, mashing her up with uh, you know, the notorious B.I.G., or her nickname, the Notorious RBG, is incredibly appealing as a meme because of the juxtaposition involved, right? You take this, you know, tiny Jewish Supreme Court justice and, uh, you know, mash her up with a much larger rapper with a totally different style. The incongruity there is funny. It's charming. Um, you know, turning her descent color into earrings is, you know, an immediate <laughs> visual shorthand. Mm-hmm. Um But what I found really sort of creepy was the way that this sort of simulation of Ginsburg, this, you know, this meme, this fictional version of her kind of got laid over the actual person um, in a way that some people seem to have trouble distinguishing between them. Um, And I think in particular, towards the end of her life, there was this tendency to cast her as a superhero. I mean, I've seen fan art that places her in a lineup with the Avengers. I've seen all this sort of fetishization of her workout, which, I mean, let's be clear, it's really nice that a woman in her 80s had an age-appropriate workout and a trainer who could help her, but, you know, slinging tiny weights around is not going to, like, you know, ward off cancer or time. I mean, you know, there there was not some sort of magic solution Um to her advancing age or the fact that she'd had repeated bouts of cancer. There was not some sort of magical property or judicial Iron Man suit that was going to carry her safely into a democratic administration, at which point she could be replaced with someone Mm like-minded. And so I think in particular, the tendency to treat her as a superhero, to fetishize the workout, were a way of kind of staving off the fact that she had made this decision to stay on the court rather than to retire in the Obama administration. And that was a risk. And we're seeing that risk play off, you know, pay out in a pretty explosive way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I think Ginsburg is nothing 
but admirable in as an actual human being. Um, I think with, you know, the exception of this decision to stay on the court yeah. uh, and, and other decisions she made as well. I mean, nobody's perfect, but the tendency to need to turn her into someone sort of indestructible to turn her into a symbol, you know, it, there's just a difference between being really into BTS and caring about a Supreme Court justice. Um, <laughs> right. You know, if you, you know, if you're really into BTS, the, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You end up donating a lot of money to NPR after they do a tiny desk concert. <laughs> um, but, you know, the tendency to treat politicians or public servants in a sort of rock star way, you know, it's not fandom. It's not just fun. You know, it can have, these people have real consequences and they deserve to be scrutinized and held accountable. And in addition to the sort of specific kind of ickiness that I feel around the tendency to worship a fictional version of her, I just think there's something inappropriate about, you know, turning politicians and public servants into the object of fandom. Mm. Um, I mean, there was a great, you know, Daily Show uh, bit during the 2008 presidential campaign um, with about sort of candidates walk on music. Um, <laughs> and uh, John Stewart sort of jokingly pretended that Obama was walking out to Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> and you know, the point was that there was something not quite right about that, that, you know, the proper relationship between politicians and public servants and the citizens who are their bosses had gotten sort of inverted. And I think that's something just to be wary about. Um, I understand the tendency to sort of treat everything like a fan club and to sort of find a source of identity in enthusiasm. But this is a place where that's not really appropriate. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I think there's some interesting dynamic at work here, too, in the difference between the way this happens on the left and the way mm -hmm. this happens on the right. Uh, because uh, Hollywood, uh, because uh, music, because so much of our pop culture is left-leaning or, or far-left, I think it, it, it becomes, uh, it, it sort of walks hand-in-hand hand with the idea of, of creating... Uh, pop icons out of uh, uh, leftist or democratic uh, political figures, and 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 it kind of explains why someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg becomes a hero uh, the way that she did. But but someone like Sandra Day O'Connor, uh, who was the first woman appointed to the Supreme Court, and whose career before the court and on the court was at least as pivotal. Uh, as as Ruth Bader Ginsburg's do, does not uh, enjoy that same kind of uh, celebrity. I want to both push back on that a little bit and agree with that because uh -huh. I think that President Trump's hardcore fans behave exactly the same way <laughs> right? as Ruth Bader Ginsburg stands, and to a certain extent, that makes sense. I mean, long before he was president, Donald Trump sold himself as a consumable figure. Yes. You know, you can play Trump the board game, you can stay in a Trump hotel, you can fly Trump air, you can eat Trump steaks. I mean, the, and, you know, there is a whole field of, you know, John McNaughton's kitsch art around Trump. You know, you have, them, you know, Make America Great Again hats as cultural symbols. I mean, 
Donald Trump is a fictional character and an actor and president of the United States all in one. And his voters (laughs) are the most effective um, fan club in history. Um, But I do think that there's something to what you're saying about the collapse of culture and politics into each other on the left. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I had to cut a paragraph that was about this (laughs) from a column that I'm publishing today. And this means I get to discuss it. Um, But I think that folks on the left have gotten very accustomed to the expectation that stars will share their political beliefs. And they have good reason to do that, right? I mean, Disney is ostensibly in a political company, but at the same time, all the people who play Marvel superheroes are out talking about politics all of the time mm-hmm. and sort of playing to the resistance on Twitter. You have actresses emceeing the Democratic National Convention. Uh, you know, I mean, these modes of thinking about culture and politics have collapsed in on each other, even though they are sort of distinct spheres of, you know, interaction, civic engagement, etc. And theoretically, they should be doing different things, right? I mean, I am on the left myself, but at the same time, I find it sort of depressing and boring when all pop culture does is kind of parrot an existing party line. I mean, theoretically, culture should be helping us see what's possible outside of the conventional modes of politics. It should be more imaginative. It should be more speculative. It should be more creative uh, rather than sort of constrained by what a party has already agreed on Mm -hmm. as its truisms and its platitudes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think cultural forms can be a useful way to talk about politics, but they are not always appropriate to the stakes. And I don't think it's a good thing for citizens to feel themselves to be sort of supplicants and fans to Mm. public servants. They owe us, you know, we're the ones who they're supposed to answer to. And when you invert that dynamic, you're giving up some of your democratic power. Um, It's true. I mean, Supreme Court justices are appointed for life. It's different, but at the same time, making yourself a fan can be a way of sort of accustoming or accommodating yourself to the fact that you don't have direct power over someone on the Supreme Court. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's also an interesting dynamic just around Ginsburg herself, which I have been really kind of blown away by in the last few years. I mean, I actually covered the court uh, from uh, from 03 to 07, and and Justice Ginsburg was uh, one of the nine then as well. Uh, but but this idea that a dissenter on the court uh, becomes uh, becomes kind of the, the the cultural icon of the court. I mean, because of the makeup of the court, she she had very few. Uh, huge uh, uh, majority opinions that that she was able to write. It, she's mostly known for things that she wrote in dissent, uh, but but also the elevation of uh, one of the justices to that pop culture icon is something that we just we, we haven't really seen. I mean, right or left. Uh, most people can't name more than one or two justices of the Supreme Court, and yet. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is uh, is on the tip of of so many people's tongues. Those those strike me as oddities about her uh, that are that are worth noting. Um, yeah, no, I think I think all of that is correct. I think that there's something very interesting, um, and I mentioned this in the in the column we're talking about about the fact that Ginsburg's the color that Ginsburg wore to issue dissents became this sort of 
iconic image. It was mm-hmm. easily repurposed in jewelry, T-shirts, everything else. Um, because while it's true that dissents can be used to, you know, offer arguments, set legal precedent that can be, you know, sort of cited later, they are essentially a statement that you're making when you lose. Yeah. And to have people kind of adopt the, you know, the style there, the, you know, the sort of gestural act of dissenting without thinking about the fact, I mean, she's wearing this to say, okay, I lost, I disagree, this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then adopting that as a sort of sign of spunkiness. It's just interesting that a symbol of defeat got kind of repurposed as this fashion item. Um and, you know, to a certain extent, I guess, it, I mean, it was visually symbolic. It was, um, I mean, the color itself was from Banana Republic. <laughs> Banana Republic actually reissued it because it was so popular. Um, but there was just sort of something funny to me about the extent to which choosing that was choosing style over substance mm. a little bit. I mean, it was a sort of, tr- the popularization of that symbol kind of tugged it away from its original meaning um, and its original context. And that to me says a lot about the nature of, again, just the sort of, you know, cultural commodification of Ginsburg, um, the extent to which it was just a little bit distorting um, in a way that has always made me feel queasy and definitely makes me feel more queasy now. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I think you have to wonder, is there a way to, even separate those things in the current culture. I mean, they, they again, this blending of uh, pop culture and politics seems headed for acceleration, uh, not the brakes. <laughs> yeah, and there's definitely, I mean, you know, a sort of like there's a you know fictionalized version of Joe Biden that The Onion has sort of developed for years. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they do him in like sunglasses and being like a little bit of a cool dirt bag who's kind of getting Obama in trouble, but like it's sort of fun to hang out with. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I think he's a, like a slightly harder figure to meme. And to a certain extent, his appeal is like, I'm boring. Things are normal. You won't have to think about me again. But right. yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be this sort of light fictionalization of presidential candidates. Um, and look, I mean, a lot of them are not going to be as talented as p- at playing that role or sort of wanting to be fictionalized as President Trump is. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we're we kind of live in, you know, this weird era of, you know, simulations <laughs> where what we want, it seems, is to live inside a political storyline rather than our actual real world. Um, that's pretty weird. Yeah, it is. Okay, uh, Alyssa Rosenberg, Washington Post opinion columnist who covers culture and wrote a piece this week titled The Flaw in the Cult of RBG. It was really great to have this conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow and hope you will too. Uh, This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, 
and conversation. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna Marie Seisling. The program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll talk again tomorrow.